Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Really, really uh, thankful for what God is doing in His church and in this church. And honestly, all through the valley, I've been really encouraged lately just speaking to pastors about what's happening in the valley and very thankful for it. You know if you're a, it's your first week here, or, or maybe you come every once in a while, you're kind of catching us in between two series, but for a very important reason, and it's that we want to focus in preparation for what we're believing God to do. Starting next week, we're doing a series called Who is Jesus, where we're really going to be looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus Christ, and I think that's so important in a, a generation that's trying to understand really who God is, that we... Uh, base our understanding of God on who he says he is. Uh, so we're going to jump into that. And we just finished a series called Even Greater. And uh, man, I don't know if you were here last week, but Pastor Barry preached such an amazing, amazing message. Can we give it up for Pastor Barry this morning? Really so thankful to have him and Candy joining our team and a part of what God is doing here. And uh, we, we've talked about it all week and all month, really, is that God is really stirring up a great expectation, a sense of expectation in his church. Not only for where God is taking us, but also how he is refining us. And as we believe, as we reach out as a church and are believing in this next phase to truly become the epicenter of discipleship in the valley, that Banner Church will be known as the place that teaches, trains, and equips and sends all over the world people who are full of the Spirit and lovers of the Word of God and can go into their business and into their home and begin to encourage and empower and see lives transformed by the Spirit. As we reach out for that, I believe that God has begun to awaken a sense of hunger and a sense of expectation. We, we just finished last week our 21 days of prayer, and uh, normally I would say prayer and fasting, but we just did 21 days of prayer, which messed with some people, right? Uh, it's funny, you got to convince them to do the fasting, but then you don't do the fasting, and they're like, where's the fasting, right? It's funny how that works, right? Um, but it's because we really wanted to have a specific prayer focus. That's why we had prayer prompts going out jingle jangle going on oh it's, what's up dozer <laughs> no he's good i love that dog uh, <laughs> i was like what is that sorry add is what it was <laughs> um, but uh, we <laughs> oh man we uh we've been praying and focusing really w w with a really clear intent in those 21 days but i wanted a chance to speak on fasting as we head into the lenten season into the holy weeks as we prepare starting from ash wednesday all the way to Easter, so Ash Wednesday, February 22nd, there's a very important time of fasting that the church has long upheld, and we're going to engage with that as a church and have a lot of resources for you, um, but I was realizing it's been a while since we've really taught on fasting. Uh, one year we did a five-week series on fasting, but we're not doing that today. Today I feel like God is speaking to something very clear about fasting, and I think it's because, and I believe it's because, God has begun to stir a hunger within us for more. That some of you here today have simply began to hope for more. 
that you've begun to hope for more and believe for more in your life. That you've begun to hope for more than anxiety or more than sorrow or more than worry. That you've begun to hope for more. Maybe even it's just a little bit, but you've begun to hope for more life, more hope, more healing, more of the Spirit at work in your life, more of the Spirit at work in your home, more of the Spirit at work in our cities and in the name of Jesus, this nation. How many of you know that if just the nation, that would be enough to say we need to expect for more of God at work? in this nation. And so a lot of us, I've been speaking to people saying, I've begun to, to hunger for that. We talked about hunger. We talked about expectation. And I've started to hunger for a greater move of God, not for more money or more influence or more power, but for that word we've been saying over and over, revival. Church, did you know, and, and, and Pastor Barry spoke over this uh, last week, but over the valley has been prophesied revival. Over certain places in this nation has been spoken revival, and I believe it, and I long for us to be a part of it. The reason that we direct and guide and go the way we go is because as a, as, as a lead pastor and as a leadership team, there's things that we see and believe are going to happen in the prophetic that we're preparing for because God has a great plan, and he's going to move here. And so as crazy as it might sound to some, I want to tell you the key to that revival being actualized and realized in our church is fasting. Like, really? Not eating is the key to revival? I skipped breakfast the other day, and it did not feel like the key to revival. Right? Well, I want to explain. Here's why it matters. I'm going to give you a little phrase here that we're going to unpack together today. It's this. Fasting cultivates a heart that is ready to live out revival. Let me say that one more time. Fasting cultivates a heart that is ready to live out revival. Let's jump to the Old Testament together. Somebody say the OT. The OT, the Old Testament. I want to read to you from Joel. Now, this is an example of God speaking to his people something for his people. And also a prophetic word for what is to come with Christ and the Holy Spirit. And also at the same time, we learn a, a spiritual principle that's being presented about what he's trying to teach them. So there's a lot happening. Uh, God was really good at inspiring the word of God. And it's full of a lot of good stuff. So that's what's happening right here. Joel 2.12 says, Yet now declares the Lord... Return to me, people of Israel, with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relents over disaster. And then a little later in Joel chapter 2, he says, And it shall come to pass afterwards. After what? After the time of fasting, after the fast, he says, I will pour out my spirit and all your flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, even on male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And if it wasn't as if it weren't, you know, supernatural enough, he says, I will show wonders in the heavens on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. Some of you are new to church and you're like, whoa, okay. 
This is a weird Sunday. No, it says, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, let's stop here. Now, God is speaking to his people, but he's also speaking prophetically, but he's speaking through the prophets about what is to come. And if you've ever jumped to the book of Acts, you know, but in case you don't know, when Christ ascends to heaven, he promises the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts, it says this scripture is fulfilled that the spirit comes and falls upon every person. But we learned something here that we see over and over. That's my kid yelling in the back, isn't it? That's ah, fine, whatever. He kind of works here. Um, we learned something in the Scripture. Uh, this is why we need a bigger building, right? Exactly, right? We learned something in the Scripture uh, about fasting that we see over and over that it begins to touch on here in Joel, and that's that fasting is a physical act with supernatural implications. Recently, uh, fasting has become really popular uh, due, due to the, the physical benefits that fasting gives. And so you'll, there's like a million articles on fasting, a million accounts on fasting, uh, different you know, health accounts and all kinds of things that are very scientifically supported on different benefits of fasting and periodic fasting and what people are fasting and all these kind of things. And I, I think that's really incredible because I'm constantly excited that science is always proving that God is really good at what he does, right? <laughs> the times where we find science kind of trying to counter God is usually something really weird's happening. But when science is constantly affirming what God created us for, which is we were created as physical beings in a physical world, and then God teaches his people about fasting, and fasting is actually physically good for us as well. But a lot of ideas on fasting stop short or misdirect. Right? There's lots of religions that fast that, that misdirect it towards a different conclusion. Or there's physical world that stops at the physical attitude of fasting. I think that's great, but there's something even more. See, every human being, here's what we know about every person. Every human being has appetite. Somebody say appetite. Right? We, we, uh, we're hungry for things, right? Some are the things we were created to be hungry for, like food, right? Water. I guess we're thirsty for water, but it falls in the same category. Like, I need this to live. Fair. Then there's the ones that are nice. You might not die if you don't have it, but I think are crucial to life, like love. It's nice to be loved, right? We hunger, we long for that. But then there's a greater uh, tension that can exist because not only do we have like our daily appetites, but then there's other things we would call fleshly hungers. Let me explain the difference. Scripture tells us that there is a tension between the flesh and the spirit. And when it says that, it's not saying there's a tension between the part of you that really likes pizza and the part of you that wants to watch pornography and the part of you that wants to be holy and the part of you that is going to go to heaven, right? There's not like, right, that, that there's differences there, right? There's differences there because like, the longing for pizza and the longing for some impure action are different longings, but they're both longing. So we're restricted by the language, right? So there's a difference. There's the created hungers that we have, and then there's the longing of the flesh, the things that would be counter to God, like, for example, impurity or impure relationships or impure actions, and the things that are of God, like purity and holiness. And Scripture tells us in Galatians 5.17, there's the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those opposed to each other, 
uh, to keep you, or, for these are opposed to each other, apologies, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So as believers, we live in this tension. We have physical desires, food, things like that, shelter, right? But we also have fleshly desires, right? Selfishness, bitterness, right? So, some of us, we lived out some of those fleshly desires on the way here, like anger in traffic, right? <laughs> anger, right? It's one thing to get angry. It's one thing to get angry at, right? And so there's a sense as Christians where we live in this tension. We have said yes to Jesus, so we die to our flesh, but then daily we have to say yes to Jesus because there's a wrestling between our flesh and the spirit that now lives within us. Are you still with me? So not only do we say yes to Jesus, yes, Jesus, I give you my heart, but daily we say yes to Jesus. Not only do we say yes to Jesus, I surrender to you. I need you as my Lord and Savior. I die to myself. I'm resurrected in you. But on the way here, I had to say yes to Jesus because somebody cut me off in traffic, right? <laughs> I had to say yes to Jesus at work in my office right? Because I had an opportunity to respond this way, but I chose to respond in patience like Jesus. So I had to say yes to Jesus. So we live in that tension. We live in that tension of knowing what God desires, but also wrestling with the flesh and constantly saying, I want to say yes to Jesus and walk that out. That's called sanctification, learning how to daily say yes to Jesus. And we're not perfect at it. But what's amazing is as you live that life out that journey of sanctification the saying yes to Jesus consistently it's important to remember that in that process God has desires for your life you might not know this today but God actually has desires plans and purposes for your life see God has decrees somebody say decrees God has decrees when you read scriptures things like I'm coming back what you do or don't do doesn't affect that He's coming back. That's his decree. I am coming back, right? He, don't murder people, right? It's like, these are pretty like, like that doesn't affect it. It's happening, right? Or he's like, I'm coming back. This is true. This is how I've created you. This is, I mean, I know everything's subjective in this world, but I have to tell you, God has decreed some very specific things. The world is not subjective. It's objective to God. But then within that, there's the desires of God says he desires that none would perish. He desires that we would come close to him. He desires that we would be led to repentance and experience new life. Jesus goes to the cross decreeing it is finished, but desiring that we would come under the cross and experience the resurrection and new life of him. In your own life, God has desires, and God desires in your life that there would be the revival of Pentecost in your life, that you would be full of the Spirit, that the Spirit would overflow from you and flow out into your life, into your home, into your work, into your city, and into your nation, that God wants to do the work of revival in your heart even today, that he wants you to abide in him and so doing be full of the fruit and the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? And that from that, it would flow into every part of your life. And so the spirit does this amazing thing. The work of the spirit begins to stir our heart for anticipation and hunger for more. Anticipation and hunger for revival. And I don't know if you've ever been to a service or a time in your life and you feel like God has begun to stirring up this longing and this hunger and you're kind of led to this point of like, okay, well now what? 
I'm just hungry for more just every day till I die. I mean, what do I do with that hunger? And that hunger can sometimes lead to frustration because we feel hungry, but we don't know what to do with that. And what is important is that hunger needs to lead to activation where we activate that hunger and direct it where we move from hunger and we move into pursuit. I'm not just hungry for more. I'm more pursuant of God and what he has. And that's where fasting comes in. I know it sounds crazy, but follow me. You still with me? That's where fasting comes in. I've uh, been wanting to go on a fishing trip with uh, my, my father up by Greer. Does anyone know where Greer is? It's awesome. I didn't know uh, you could fly fish in Arizona, and then I discovered that you could, and now I know you can do it, like, everywhere, and I just had no idea. Uh, you, you can even do it in the valley. Trust me. Uh, but there's an incredible part up in the White Mountains and the Apache Tribe and uh, beautiful rivers up there. And I've been wanting to go, but you need a permit. And the last time I was up there, I had, didn't have a fishing pole or a permit or the time. And I was like, okay, I want to go. And uh, our, our building team, of which my father is on, has been working really hard to get us a new space. And I'm like, okay, we got to put a time. We got to go up there when it's not snowing. We're going to catch some fish. Um, you know, somewhere between when, when my baby gets here or is passed I don't know when it fits in. We're going to figure it out. But that's the point. I had to call him, right? And we had to set a day, right? And we had to prepare, right? Some of you have, um, let's just say, you have travel plans with people that will never happen because you never set a day. You're like, oh, yeah, we're totally going to go to Italy. But, like, are you, though? Like, half my small group, I found out, wants to go to Italy. How many of them will go? right? Like every girl in my small group, every woman in my small group wants to go to Italy. But right, if we don't set a date, it's not happening. Why? Because we have to save. We have to prepare, maybe learn some Italian. Or in my case, hey, we got to prep. Yeah, you know Italian. That's not fair. I looked at the only person I know that literally speaks fluent Italian. Okay, that was a bad move. <laughs> but we, uh, we need to prepare, right? I, I need to... Um, I need to learn, I need to study, I need to, need to approach it, I need to schedule, I need to budget for my fishing trip. What I love about preparation, though, is nothing that I do in preparing for that trip with my father will change how much I am his son. There's nothing I do in preparation or to not prepare that will affect how much I am or am not his child. That is something that is secured independent of what I'm doing. But I have to say, if I don't prepare, I might be a little frustrated when it finally gets here, right? I might be a little, fr I might be a little distracted. I might miss some opportunities. I might be a little confused when it finally gets here. And church, this is important. No, no matter what you do in prayer and fasting, it doesn't alter your position as a child of God, but it will definitely affect your relationship to what happens and what God is doing. It will definitely affect how prepared you feel for what God is going to do. There are things that Christ teaches us not to affect if we are a son or daughter of God. You are a son and daughter of God, but there's a level of preparing our hearts for what he wants to do. Because can I tell you, church, I have seen God break out in powerful ways and powerful healings, and I have seen people leave those nights where God was literally healing people physically and say, I can't come back here. I'm just too anxious. And that's not a knock on them. It's just I'm like, okay, I didn't do a good enough job preparing my people because we just went into it, and we expected it, and we waited for it, but we didn't prepare for it. We got to prepare 
And that's what led me to research fasting, because fasting prepares us. It cultivates a heart that is ready to live out revival, so that when it comes, it is happening. I won't be anxious, but I'll be missional, I'll be visionary, I'll be opportunistic, I'll see what God is doing, and I'll walk through it with peace, not anxiety. Fasting cultivates a heart that's ready to live out revival. The other day, I heard it's going to rain, and I was so excited because my goal is to turn my backyard into a permaculture food forest. And so I'm just, my whole yard actually, my neighbors don't know yet. They just think it's a mess, but it's going to get there, and we'll we'll feed my neighborhood. Um, But I heard it's going to rain, so I was really excited. So I go out, and I take a bunch of stuff off, and I'm prepping the ground. I'm prepping it. Why? The rain is happening regardless of me. I I don't affect if it rains or not. But I wanted to be prepared so when it did rain, I could capture as much as was happening at one time. See, that's cultivation. It's preparing for what's to come. It's not just saying, man, it would be great if it rained. God, send the rain. It's saying, I'm going to be prepared for when the rain comes. The Bible is full of examples where people fasted to cultivate a heart ready for revival. And I said this first service, I'll say it here. Um, I was part of writing a topic paper for our denomination on fasting, and it's a little more academic. So if your brain is very academic, I can send that to you. It's full of lots of resources. You can knock yourself out. But I'm just going to pick a few here from Scripture uh, that teach us about fasting. One of them is Moses. Moses, uh, in Exodus 34, 28, it says this. It says, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and nights, and he neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. I love this. Let's maybe just pause and store this in our brains for like 10 minutes, or four minutes from now, okay? Moses, before he was going to come down from the presence of God to begin this new covenant God was establishing with his people, spends 40 days in the wilderness with God so that he's prepared to lead the people into this new covenant. Okay, store that in your brain. Joel, we already read, prophesying about the coming of the Spirit. Daniel prays for revival. He prays, prays that uh, demonic plans would be destroyed. It says in Daniel 10.2, it says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. Daniel is really famous for living in a land that does not glorify God and praying and fasting and believing that not only wisdom and clarity would be given through the Lord, but that the plans of demonic forces will be broken. Church, I got to say, that's probably enough for us to fast right there. Because if you've not been paying attention, there are plans from demonic forces at work in this nation. And if not for you, for your children, that we need to pray and fast that they would be broken and that truth would reign in this city, in this nation. That truth would conquer lies, deception, and falsehoods. That's another sermon. I already preached that one. I don't have to come back to that one. But Israel was known for fasting. They're fasting for repentance, or they'd fast for alignment, or in times of distress. They'd fast when, man, when the Spirit began to open their eyes, and they're like, you know what? We are not close to God. We are not close to the Lord. So this hunger would begin to stir up, and they would start to fast to prepare for what God wanted to do. 
Okay, did you store that thought about Moses in your head? Some of you have been a part of church longer than I've been alive. You're like, it's in my soul, right? (laughs) I love you. Thank you. (laughs) 40 days, right? See, Jesus, same thing. Jesus, before he began his ministry, he's baptized. He goes out to the desert for 40 days and 40 nights in preparation to be the new covenant by his blood. And it says in Matthew 4, 1, it says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Who was leading him? The Spirit. The Spirit was leading and stirring the beginning of his ministry. And so he went into the wilderness, and he was tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the most uh, straightforward verse in Scripture says, he was hungry. Fair. What's true for Jesus is true for you, right? If we're followers of Jesus, we follow his model. What's true for Jesus is true for us. He fasted in preparation for what God wanted to do, right? Right? He fasted in preparation for what God wanted him to do. And that model is in like all of the church. It's not just for Jesus. It's in all of the church. Some people read Matthew 6, and they say, oh, see, Jesus is saying nobody should know that you're fasting. Well, then that doesn't, that makes Acts 13 and 14 a lie then, so it's confusing. But see, what Jesus is speaking on in Matthew 6, which you can go read on your own, says very, very simply, don't do this to be recognized and glorified by the people around you. Do it to glorify God, and he will glorify you. See, it's about the Lord. It's about what God wants to do. And so the early church got that, and they would fast together. In Acts 13, it says, while they were worshiping, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And Acts 14, 23 says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Church, fasting has always been a crucial part of church life. And it's always fascinating to me that if you read the Bible, we get prayer because we're talking, right? You don't necessarily have to sacrifice to pray or be self-controlled. You can just kind of like bounce into it the way that we pray kind of in the Western world. I think that's okay. But there's something different about fasting that when they're prayed together, there's a, there's a pursuit of God with the entirety of ourselves. Not only our thoughts, but our bodies. And so what we see not only in the Bible, but in church history is where churches pray and fast, there's revival. Did you know in the, in the great awakenings that happened in this country, if you did not fast multiple days a week, they wouldn't even commission you as a minister. Like that was a baseline. Why? They're trying to save food? No, because it said something about what you believed. It spoke to what you believed about revival. Were you riding the wave? It's like, oh, this is kind of neat. Were you truly believing that God was doing something? See, I believe that God has started to stir up Banner Church and the hearts here for revival. There's a hunger. There's a hunger. There's a longing for healing. There's a longing for restoration. Amen? Some of you, there's a longing for wisdom in your life, for truth. There's a, there's a longing in your heart for life to the fullest. There's a hunger for, for hearts that are truly, truly done seeing their nation trend towards darkness and believing posting on Facebook is, is really solving the problem. 
that we would begin to go into the place of true wisdom and stand up with good arguments that defeat the lofty lies of the enemy, that we would stand on truth and authority and go into dark places and begin to speak life. And it doesn't matter if it's in your home or your work or Capitol Hill. It doesn't matter that you begin to go in and begin to intercede with truth for the nation. That we'd have hearts that believe for revival. That we have hearts are beginning to, to say, you know what? I'm tired of a culture that seems to live at the end of emotional burnout. And I'm ready to believe for greater things. I want that fire back. We, we, we are believing that God is stirring up hearts that need clarity and wisdom and direction and encouragement and alignment and power. Hearts that long for God to move. Hearts that say, you know what? If COVID taught me anything, I'm tired of just turning the crank on church, just doing the same motions over and over again. I don't want religious participation. I want relational revival. I want God to move. I want Christianity Christians in every part of our culture, in every place, bringing the truth of the Lord God into everything. I think God has started that. I don't think I'm crazy because I speak to you and I see what God is doing. And I see this next generation trying to step into every place and culture and begin to speak the truth of the word of God. God has begun to awaken it and stir it. And can I just say, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Because we need revival, amen? Like, we've had enough participation. We need revival, right? Like, we, we've had enough sidelines. We need activation. The church has stood at the sidelines of so many things that have happened politically, culturally, socially, and said, like, well, we'll just let that, we'll just be over here and be nice. No! We need the Spirit at work in those places. See, Christ intersects all of those things and says, I'm going to stir it up. I'm going to stir up a hunger. But the problem is, is if it's just stirred up for us, then it stays hunger. It stays longing, and then it moves kind of into bitterness, and then maybe frustration, and then maybe we don't like people as much as we did because they don't get what we get. That, that's not the answer. It has to be activated and move us into purpose. It has to be activated and move us into the space where we're pursuing of what God wants to do. So why do we fast? It's because as God stirs up, we don't want to ruin our appetite. Man, I, uh, when I was a kid, my parents would say, don't ruin your appetite. Don't ruin your appetite. Um, I like, man, on a really nice dinner, like a nice dinner, we'd go to the keg. You guys know the keg, right? Man, you go to the keg for one reason, steak, right? I mean, I don't, maybe you don't. I don't know. I'll pray for you. But I'm a red-blooded American, and I go for steak. That's right. I'm pro-cow in every form. They're going to save the earth, right? If you want to fix the environment, we need more cows. Fight me. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying right now. I will no, I'll literally fight you. Uh, <laughs> but you go to the keg for steak. This is the most, this is going to be, I don't know. Here's the thing about the keg I learned at a young age. You order the steak, and then immediately... Like some magician, some 17-year-old in a half-dirty apron appears out of the back room with this basket, and you can smell it coming to your table, just piping warm bread. You guys know what I'm talking about? Now, everybody does this, but the keg's bread just slaps different. I don't know what they do back there. I don't know what they put in this bread. It's so hot when you... I make bread, and I don't understand how it works, but they... 
It's so good. And it's like you know the steak is coming, but like four bread baskets later, you don't want it to. Right? Like you feel like hungry. You feel full. Maybe a little ashamed. Some of you are like, what? Really? Yes. No, most of us do this. Right? Come on, be honest. You've ever ruined a meal because you filled up, filled up on chips and salsa? Honesty in the church. Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Okay, good, good. Some of you are like, I can't believe it. We've all done this, right? You go to a Mexican restaurant, and there's chips, and that salsa's, I mean the good salsa. Not they poured it out of the container, but like somebody's back there making it, right? You can feel how hot that kitchen is in, how good the salsa is. You, you eat the chips and salsa. We went out to lunch the other day. I think I ate like 18 bowls of chips and salsa. My burrito got there. I was just staring at it like it was some burden I had to carry. <laughs> right? And here's the reality is when the steak gets there, you eat the steak, right? Come on, men, you eat the steak. You ordered it, you eat it. I'm not taking leftover steak. I'm going to finish it like God intended as a man, okay? <laughs> I'm not a woman. I don't take leftovers. I eat the food right there like God intended for me to eat. You could take those potatoes home. They'll live in the fridge for four days. We'll throw them away later. But we will eat this steak. <laughs> I don't care if people are judging me. Just look away. But I think we do this in the spirit, church. <laughs> is that something good God has promised, something great God has promised. But man, how much of our life do we fill up with things that are good? I mean, yeah, it's good. But it's not the greater thing that God has promised. We begin to fulfill our appetites. Man, how much of the Bible is full of people who were promised something by God but, but took a shortcut and filled up on something else? And we we're like, oh, wait, that wasn't exactly it. That wasn't exactly it. See, there's a greater thing Psalm 63, one of my favorite psalms says, God, my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. It says, so I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. See, fasting does not say food is bad. God made food and he made it good. Amen. But it is a willful choice to not satisfy certain desires in the physical to clarify our desire in the spiritual and the supernatural. That we are pursuant of a greater desire. As a fleshly being, I am submitting and surrendering the desires of the flesh for a time because I am fully and completely focused on cultivating this place, my heart, to live out the revival I know is coming. See, I, I don't want the bread of the world. I I want the bread of life. I want the steak of the spirit. And I know it's coming. And I know it is here. And I know that God is moving. And I don't want to be over here just gorging myself on the world because it's easy and it's there and it's constantly being put in front of me. I want to say, you know what? I'm going to set aside and focus on what I know is coming. Like Jesus said, my food is to do the work of my Father. Ben, I'm going to invite you up. Church, if you're here today and God has begun to stir your heart, He's begun to put an expectation, a dream, a, a longing within you, I want to say, man, begin to cultivate that space. Get your heart ready for revival. Don't let the worldly things distract you. Don't let them fill you up. How many times have we let those lesser things take up room? And then when it gets here, we're 
feel like on the outside of it. Man, I've seen it where God's begin to move and people feel on the outside because they filled up with other things. They focused on other things. Fasting clarifies everything in our life. I think about that all the time. I wonder if we lost internet for like a week, if we'd have revival. Definitely anarchy. But at this point, I don't know. But all joking aside, I believe that there's so many things that distract us. I just want to say, church, prepare that place because the rain is coming. Prepare that place. Get ready because this kingdom is at work and is working and will be at work here. Get ready because the Spirit's moving. What we've begun to see in this church is just the beginning. I feel like every week we're seeing God move in special and unique ways, calling people out and calling up a hunger. But can I tell you, church, I don't want us to get there and then be anxious about it when we're there because we filled up on everything else. But to say, God, we focus on you. That's why we do fast together. Because, man, it's good to have friends who all at one time are saying we're focusing our hearts fully and completely on God. It's not about the piety of what we're doing. It's about the pursuit of a loving God. It doesn't start there. It doesn't start out there. It doesn't even start right here. It starts right here in our heart that we cultivate a heart that's ready to live out revival. Would you stand with me this morning? I love the band picked this song. I said this first service, I'm thankful for worship pastors that are full of the Spirit and are led by that. So thankful for that. And I love this song. It just speaks of readying our heart for what God wants to do. Some, that's some of the best worship. It's just like, it's all about you. That's all of the best worship, I guess. It's all about you, God. So the question is, how do we cultivate that heart this morning? How do we respond? Yes, we're going to be fasting together as a church on Ash Wednesday. We're going to have an Ash Wednesday service and be fasting for 40 days. We're going to have lots of info about how to engage with that and what different kinds of fasts are and how that works that we're going to be sending out over the next week. But I believe that the first step is just submitting our heart to the Lord to be cultivated by Him, to inspect our heart, and to invite the Lord, search my heart. Say, God, is there anything within me? Have I placed some rocks in this garden bed that you're trying to cultivate, that I'm trying to prepare, that I just need to pull out? Is there some weeding that needs to be done? Is there some hard ground that needs to get broken up? Is there some space that needs to be made? Because I've allowed things, but I'm just here to say, God, would you just cultivate a heart? It's totally open to you. I totally surrender to you. I give you everything. That's where it begins. So this morning, would you just bow your heads with me? I'm going to invite us to pray together, and then to close, I, I ask the band to sing this song, and I encourage you to enter into a posture of worship as we do. But if you're here and you're saying, God, I truly long for you to move, and I'm willing to say, I just submit my heart, everything to you. Maybe you're here, and it's the very first time. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you're willing today to say, you know what? Jesus, I give you my heart. I need you as my Savior. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.